You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Welcome back. I'm glad that you're here today. I hope that today's podcast episode helps focus your heart and your mind for celebrating the resurrection on April 4th. We're almost there. This Sunday is Palm Sunday, and next week we celebrate the resurrection together on Easter Sunday, and I cannot wait. We're going to continue reading through Matthew's gospel just as an exercise in helping uh, our hearts and our minds stay focused and full as we worship on Easter Sunday. So I'm going to read today from... um, Uh, Matthew 27, Uh, we're going to read about Pilate and Jesus. So you're going to see Pilate, uh, Jesus is being falsely tried, not defending himself. You'll see the the chief priests, the elders accusing him of things. And you'll even see the introduction of Barabbas and an opportunity for us to see Pilate's wife come in after having a dream and say, don't accuse Jesus. So in this moment, I want you to feel the weight of the king of glory is being tried willingly in front of a second-rate Roman governor, a proconsul that's been assigned to Caesarea to rule over Judea and Judah and to govern the Jews. So Pilate feels as if he has power, thinks he has power, but he is actually leading a mock trial and an abuse of justice against the true prince of peace. So let's read about this. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. It's amazing that Jesus is not defending himself when we know that he could. And the reason for this is because he's determined to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. This may be a mock trial and a perversion of justice, but Jesus is willingly laying down his life. The power really here is not in the hands of Pilate, the governor. It's not in the hand of the chief priests and the elders. They think they win. They feel at the end of this day as if they conquered Christ. But the real power here is with Jesus, who is willingly giving his life, evidenced by the fact that he is silently standing, not making a defense of himself. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas? or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. For he knew that it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. So so Pilate knows what's going on. Pilate can see that Jesus is not guilty. And he's trying to find a way to get himself out of this, a way to let Jesus, who is an innocent man in his eyes, escape. Because even, even though this is a polluted courtroom scene, even though this justice is a mockery, Pilate, who's aligned with the Romans, recognizes that this is not just. So he's going to try to find an out, and the out is going to be, he's going to give them a choice at this feast. He has a custom of letting the crowd choose one prisoner to pardon, and he gives them two choices. This insurrectionist, Jesus Barabbas, or 
Jesus, the Messiah, who is well-loved by the crowd. But this is probably a crowd that's been concocted. These are going to be friends of the Sanhedrin, the elders, the chief priests. These are elites and insiders who would have access to Pilate early in the morning. Most of Jerusalem would not have even known what was happening this early in the morning if Jesus had only just been arrested that night. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So in comes this legitimate witness, Pilate's own wife, who says, I've had a dream about this guy. You need to back away from this. We assume that this dream came from God that the Lord was speaking divinely even through Pilate's wife. And if not, in either case, her intuition was right, her dream was right, she warns Pilate that Jesus is an innocent man. And you're going to see Pilate continually trying to back out of this. The problem here is that the Jews do not have the authority in Roman government to execute Jesus. So even though the chief priests, Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, elders, and scribes want Jesus executed, they have to have Pilate's hand to do that. So let's look at verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. People talk about the crowd. I've heard a lot of preachers preach about the crowd and say that you know, the crowd on Palm Sunday was, crowd, was, was shouting Hosanna to the king of the Jews. But then on Good, on, uh, on, on Good Friday, they were shouting crucify. I actually don't think that's correct. Preachers make the point that people are fickle, and that is true. But you don't need this passage of the Bible to show how quickly a human heart can turn from favor to hate. That said... I don't think that's what's happening here. I think the crowds that were shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday were pilgrims who were coming from Galilee and outer regions, traveling traveling to Jerusalem uh, for Passover. I think they'd seen the miracles of Jesus and loved Jesus. I don't think these were Jerusalem insiders on Palm Sunday. They were outside the city gates shouting for him. The Pharisees were displeased. This event in front of Pilate, it happens very early in the morning inside the quarters of the city. I really think that this is going to be a small group of insiders that would have been able to gather on the stone pavement in Pilate's courtyard in order to accuse Jesus. I think it's a totally different group of people. Historically, that makes sense to me. Which of these two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. So even though the crowd is speaking and Pilate has accomplished what he wanted, now now he can say it was the crowd's decision, not his own. He still recognizes this is wrong. And you can tell it because he tries to restrain him. In verse 22, um, Verse 23, why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. 
He took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility. Pilate would not have been able to stand an uproar. See, here's the issue. There had already been some uprisings and some problems. Pilate had a strong hand and in some cases overstepped his bounds. There had already been a few incidents in his rule over Judea uh, that had gotten the attention of Roman elites. And honestly, this was a difficult place to rule. This was a tough region to lead for Roman proconsuls. And Pilate, some people believe that Pilate was in a very difficult spot, that he couldn't handle an uprising because if things got out of hand uh, in Judea, uh, he would be replaced or might have a war on his hand. And in fact, 40 years later, they did, in fact, have a big war between the Jews and Rome. So he wasn't too far off on that. But he didn't want an uprising. So he makes this big scene and washes his hands and pretends that he's innocent. Listen, he's no more innocent of the blood of Jesus than I am and you are. We are all guilty. Now, his role, honestly, is that he was the executor. He was the political power that called for the crucifixion of Jesus. He was not innocent. As much as he would like to deflect the responsibility of this moment off to the crowd, he was as guilty as they were. And listen, so am I and so are you. I know that we weren't there shouting that day, but let's be honest. We can't wash our hands of what's happened to Jesus. He died for our sins, mine included. And it's okay for us to stop and take responsibility and feel the weight of that. And I think the response from that is that on Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection, our hearts will be all the more glad. The next statement is a powerful one in verse 25. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. That verse, verse 25, All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Unfortunately, over history, some people have misconstrued that verse because it was Jewish people who were shouting that his blood would be on us. Some people have used that verse to fuel anti-Semitism. In other words, they've said that Jews killed Jesus, but they've forgotten that Jesus was a Jew. In fact, the king of the Jews. So to use that verse for anti-Semitism is a shame, a tragedy, but the fact is it's happened historically. Rather, I want us to look at that verse and feel the weight of this crowd who does not realize how much truth they're speaking when they say to Pilate, this man's blood be on us and our children. And and I don't mean that in the way of just guilt, although responsibility is absolutely included. But on the other side, the flip side of that, if you will accept responsibility for the crucifixion of Jesus, that his your sins are part of why he was on the cross, then suddenly your union with Jesus allows your sins to have been atoned that truly His blood is on me and my children. Yes, we are responsible for His death, but likewise we are atoned by it because He chose to give His life. Truly, His blood has covered me. And while that in the one hand makes me feel the weight of responsibility, on the other hand, with His empty tomb on Easter Sunday, it gives me freedom from my sins, and I am eternally in His debt. Truly, I'm responsible for the crucifixion. And I am grateful for his resurrection. Believers, let's live with this reality. If this podcast is encouraging to you or helpful in some way, share it with somebody. And you may want to go back and pick up the other podcasts, if you haven't listened to them, that we've been reading along the way for the last month or so through Matthew's Gospel as we've taken a look at the events of the crucifixion and soon we'll be reading about the resurrection. I can't wait to gather with you on April 4th. Church family, I love you. I can't wait to see you this Palm Sunday. God bless you.